0: Your relationship with God is unique in other people. He will never have another relationship with anyone else like He has with you. And He would miss you if you were not here. Welcome to the Be Filled Podcast. Together we will explore the deepest desires of the human heart and how our Creator wants to fulfill your every longing. Join us as we explore the beautiful teaching of St. Pope John Paul II on the theology of the body. We are so excited you're here on the journey with us. Open your heart to be filled. and welcome to another episode of the Be Filled podcast. My name is Rochelle Parker and I'm here with my lovely friends Katie Davis, Patty Strauss, and Sister Cecilia Ann. And today we're just continuing our discussion on St. Pope John Paul II's teaching on the theology of the body. Today, we're going to be covering general audiences five through seven, um, and it's on the meaning of original solitude. So this is the first of three original experiences of man prior to the fall. So this is what life was like before sin entered into the world, and it is very, very beautiful. Um, So we have quite a bit to get to today, but I'm really excited um, to hear all of your reflections and um, to get into it. So the passage that John Paul II is exploring is Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, and I'm just going to read that and then um, we'll dive in. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to see the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. But for the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So this is part of um, the second account of creation. And the first point that John Paul II makes that's really important for knowing what this means, uh, or what solitude means, um, is that there are actually two different Hebrew words used for the word man. So the word Adam, or Adam, as we would say, um, is used... um, before the first woman is created and it actually means humankind. So that would include both male and female. The other word that's used after the woman is created for male is ish had to look up how to pronounce this, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good job. And thank you. Um, which this is only used after the creation of the female isha. So it's kind of interesting. So we can know that when, God refers to man being alone. It means not just the male, but the human person, male and female. Um, And so he says there's actually two meanings to solitude in this context. First, man, as in humankind, male and female, is alone due to his very nature or his humanity. And this is what he's going to focus on predominantly. Um, And then in the other sense, it means the male being alone due to not having a helper fit for him, not having the female. So we're going to pause here and also just know that um, this audience is five through seven are just very interconnected. um, And so it's all going to kind of overlap. But I think it'll be a really wonderful, rich discussion. Um, What did you ladies find most powerful um, in this audience in audience five.
1: Katie, would you like to start? Sure. Yeah, I think that it is definitely um, hard to kind of separate them all out, but I'll just kind of focus on on the solitude part. And, you know, it reminds me of when we were trying to explain theology of the body and we were saying, you know, it it answers two questions. And so, What we were trying to figure out now is the answer to the question, who am I? And Adam is really starting to find the answer to this question by naming the animals. So the way that we explained this to the children during our first summer was um, going back to the Jungle Book and by really looking at uh, Mowgli, and he was adopted by wolves, if you're not familiar with the uh, jungle book and they told him from the very beginning like someday you're gonna have to go back to the man village but you can hang out and we'll protect you for now. So Mowgli loved being in the jungle and he loved all of his animal friends but when his life got endangered, he had to flee, and he was really trying to go see if there was any other animals that he might fit in with. And so basically the entire movie is about him, just as Adam named every animal, he was going to every animal, and they were pretty much showing him how he couldn't, he was different. And so while there were similarities, Baloo the bear taught him how to roar like a bear and taught him how to enjoy himself and his honey. Um, he really knew he, he couldn't fit in. And this happened with everyone, the apes and the elephants. And so, you know, it came to a point where Baloo actually asked Mowgli, you know, when he was trying to convince him to go back to the man village, he says, now you wouldn't marry a panther, would you? <laughs> and uh, this is really what's what's missing for Mowgli is he, he can't escape the truth that he is different from the animals. And so um, it kind of goes back to that last part of uh, the Genesis quote, you know, there was not found a helper similar to him. And so, you know, for the kids, this was very obvious. And I love how obvious it was to them when mm-hmm. we were doing it. Rochelle's nodding because she was there <laughs> <laughs> explaining it all to them. But that's that's what I love and somewhat of an abstract and complex um, concept that John Paul II is explaining. It can really be simplified so
2: much. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, Patty? <laughs> that that uh, goes right along. I think with my meditation i i have gone to some theology of the body classes where i received about you know 60 hours of thinking and instructing and being instructed and praying but i have not actually sat and read the actual text so for this podcast i, I wanted to i'm sorry i wanted to sit and i wanted to to read through and pray through and i was really surprised where it's simple but complex, and I felt like I could sit with Adam in the garden, and I could feel it, it was where there was this discernment of Christ or God asked him to look at the animals, and and it was a slow reveal. It felt like for Adam, if I'm sitting there with Adam, and he's like looking at the animals, and he's hanging out with the pandas and the bears, and he's and then he's he's like, but but something's different and and then John Paul just kind of helped direct us through that where he recognized that they have bodies but there's a different sense of them they they don't have the same speech as him like in the Mowgli story he um he had a relationship with our lord and he could tell that the animals didn't share that too so he became more aware of of his body, but something else, so that he's body and soul. And I thought it was really important, even though it seems obvious that we're not like our puppy dogs and our kitty cats, I thought it was really important for me to recognize Adam in the garden, going through that process of learning how different that he is, and we need it today, because I thought if I was in our culture and a young person came and and they were really interested in who are they and are they like the animals? Because we hear that's happening. And I think I could draw them to the story and sit with them in the Garden of Eden and help them show what our Lord is showing us, that we are made very specially and not like the animals.
3: Well, I would agree with that, Patty. I thought um, as I was reading in uh, audience five, uh, I kind of meditated on the fray or the Raised, man at the same time reveals himself to himself in all the distinctiveness of his being, and I think what you're talking about is that self-knowledge that we come to to know uh, what are our gifts, what are our talents. Why are we not like the plants and animals directly? You know, what what do we have in common? What do we not have in common? We're all made to glorify God in some ways. Uh, but as human beings, uh we were made in his image and likeness, and we were given free will and intellect. And so as as we read um, about that solitude uh that was shown in that we are very unique that we were given the responsibility to care for creation, you know. uh, We care for our fellow human beings, but we're also called to care for animals and plants and the air and so forth. So we look at all these things that are just naturally part of our daily lives, and it's really part of that, you know, uh, that original solitude. We were given that gift. We were given the gift of being distinct from the other creations, but with with every gift comes a responsibility. And so that's kind of where my meditation went and just the beauty of that self-knowledge. And the more we know ourselves, uh, the better we can serve others.
0: Oh, very good. Thank you so much, you guys. That was so great. It's so interesting how we can all pull out, you know, different things stick out to us. So the thing that really caught my attention this time, which is different than the last time I read it, um, was where John Paul II points out that the second creation account, this is a quote, concentrates our attention on the fact that man is alone. And this turns out to be a fundamental anthropological issue that in some ways is prior to to the fact that man is male and female. What does that mean? Okay, so this is I where... I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Actually, Christopher West is going to help me with it. So we, all of us, have read this amazing commentary by Christopher West called Theology of the Body Explained. I think we mentioned that before. But he helped me a lot to understand the significance of this point. Um, and I was able to really deeply connect to it in my um, personal experience. But what christopher west says is that the essential point is that although sexual difference is fundamental to the meaning of our humanity each human stands human being stands with his own dignity as a subject prior to his call to live communion with an other person via the gift of sexual difference if one is to give himself away in an incarnate communion with an other he must first be the kind of creature capable of doing so. He must first be a body person. So basically what I got from that and what I deeply connect to is that in order to love the way that we're called to love, we have to learn how to just be with ourselves and to love ourselves and accept ourselves Um with God, of course. Um, and this definitely has been my experience I shared in previous episodes about my love of love and how I used to just really chase after relationships and attention. And um, I had a very a deep fear, actually, of being alone. And I put a lot of energy into avoiding solitude because I was afraid of being lonely and also just not really wanting to face myself at that point. Um, But when I began my healing journey, a big part of it was learning how to just be with myself and with the Lord and being satisfied there. And um, I lived in Nashville at the time, and they have this beautiful Metro Parks system. And I used to go on these really long walks, and I'd call them my God walks. And I would just if anyone heard me or saw me, they think I was kind of crazy because <laughs> I would just pour out my heart and talk to God about everything and just try to listen to to what He was saying. And um, it was kind of like my own Garden of Eden sort of experience with Him. But through that, I just started to become more and more comfortable with myself and <laughs> became really content. Um, And I even considered maybe I'm called to be single. Maybe I would serve God better as a single person, which I was not Catholic. So that's not really a thing in the Protestant world, I'll have to say. Um, So, yeah, it was very much a God thing, like moving my heart like that. But right about that time, I met my husband. And um, I just really believe that that time of solitude, of just time— Getting settled, um, getting to know myself, and and connecting with God prepared me to receive that relationship with Will as a gift rather than something or someone I had to have or that I grasped grasped for um, out of fear of being alone. So I just see that that is such a necessary. Process. Um, And I try to instill that in my girls too. You know, that, you know, first, the most important thing is to be okay with you and who you are and having a deep relationship with the Lord. Um, And then, one other thing, I just wanted to piggyback on what you guys were saying about um, naming the animals. I just think it's significant that God honors that um, kind of self-discovery of adam you know he could have just gone straight to the woman right like right. he could have just made her and skipped the whole thing where we're naming animals and find trying to find a helper helper because i'm sure that was a frustrating and disappointing process for adam as he's realizing like wait no i am not the same um but god just honors that journey and i think he honors that in each of us you know that we need That space to kind of figure things out and figure out who we are and find our identity. We hear that word a lot, identity, um, in our culture. And that is a fundamental part of being human is figuring out like who we are, right? So- Thank you, all of you, for all of your thoughts. That was really awesome. Um, And so now we move forward um, to audience six and also the beginning of audience seven. Um, And so John Paul II just continues to explain what it is that Adam is discovering about himself and what makes him a person. So as we already mentioned, as he's naming the animals, he's realizing I have self-consciousness or self-awareness. Um, and then he also discovers that he has self-determination. And this happens when God commands Adam to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He realizes, I have the power to choose whether I'm going to obey God or not. And this is unique to the human person. And this might make us all think about our freedom episodes as well. Um, but it is unique to the human person to have that choice. He didn't offer that choice to any of the other creatures. Um, and also that we are able to have a relationship with God, as um Patty already talked about too, um, and to have what John Paul II so beautifully calls to be a partner of the absolute. And again, he experiences all through his body, right? He has this consciousness of his body that makes him aware that there's more to him um, than to the other creatures. And so as Patty already mentioned too, like just that connection of body and soul that makes us um, a person. And um, he refers, John Paul II refers to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that says, the Lord God formed man, with dust of the ground, and blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And this is not said of any other creature, again, unique to the human person. So we'll pause there and see what reflections um, you had on this section.
3: Well, again, when I was reading it, um, I thought what was really uh, you know important to me or what kind of stuck out was the, the phrase, Man can rule the earth because only he and none other uh, living being is able to cultivate. And I thought, you know, cultivate is such an intentional form of work. You know, when we talked about being able to determine our own um, actions, you know, as human beings, uh, that we're not just going off of instinct, how important that is. And, and what an honor it is, you know, God asking us to work, God asking us to determine, to cultivate. Um, we know our greatest work, of course, is that of prayer, but also just uh, working. It's an honor to be like God, you know, and God asks us to have one day where we don't work and that's our their sundays and so forth but you know it's easy for us to get in a pattern and think oh work is such a such a laborious thing such a, a hard thing and and part of that is because after the fall we do have to work by the sweat of our brow you know but even before that god still asked Adam and Eve to work because work was a reflection of God, and it was a good thing to again. It was a part of that determining, you know, what we would eat and what we would do, and so forth. So I think of the beauty if we can really keep that foremost in our our mind when we go out throughout our daily lives. Work is not a bad thing; it's not a it's, it's something that truly helps to fulfill who we are. And when we work, it's a way of us reflecting God to other people. Any thoughts, Patty? Oh,
2: that that is perfect. I, it's real exciting to almost look at life. Like this story that's being revealed, and that are and Rochelle, you had said that where in our experiences we learn more about ourselves, and and that's what I heard so much for you. And it, I go back; I had that real fun meditation with um, audiences five and six, and I was thinking about you know Adam still discerning, and he's he's seen this beautiful sunset, and he's looking around, and the lions snugged up to his feet. And he's like, "Mm, it's not really doing that sunset like I am. But it made him long for a relationship. It made him long. And I thought, here he is. He has this sense of our Lord. And it made me ponder for a bit that I'm doing that same thing, that these things that don't really work out quite the same way that I thought they would, but then a person will show up with some answers or a hug or something that makes me recognize there's more, and it brings me closer to our Lord. So I got so much of that from your conversation, and and that was definitely fitting in with my reflection on our Lord. That, um, And also that, that in that, that we have that freedom of choice, that we are different, and so we can um, make a choice to love our Lord. And that also took me to another level of, Lord, you've given me that choice, and you're not forcing me to love you. So, of course, it made me love him all the more. So it was a very beautiful meditation. I was thankful I was reading John Paul II's Reflections on Genesis. (laughs) Katie. Wow. There's just so many directions you can go, (laughs)
1: and these audiences aren't even that long, (laughs) which is the amazing thing. And I'm just thankful that John Paul II just keeps circling back so we have more time to keep going back through these um, because I really got hooked on that phrase "partner of the absolute." Mm-hmm. One, we don't say that in everyday right. conversation, <laughs> so I was just trying to get comfortable with it, trying to really like understand what is he trying to tell us mm-hmm. by being a partner of the absolute. So, you know, this section is on one fifty-one of the text. And the quote that stood out to me the most was, a "Man is alone." This is to say that through his own humanity, through what he is, he is at the same time set into a unique, exclusive, and unrepeatable relationship with God Himself. So, if you've ever listened to Christopher West, he repeats this over and over and over again, and. I think it's because we have to hear it over and over and over again. It It reminds me of, you know, when we tell our kids, you know, that he counts all the hairs on their head and we all have a different number. (laughs) And I think that just telling them how unrepeatable they are, telling each other how unrepeatable we are, like the world needed a patty. The world needed a sister, <laughs> Cecilia Ann. The world needed a Rochelle. So good and <laughs> no one else can take your spot. It's just you. And I just, to just sit with that and to truly believe it, I think it, it takes your identity, your purpose to a whole new level. And, you know, Christopher West's commentary does such a beautiful job explaining this. Um, He says, after that quote, We cannot understand who man is apart from his supreme call to enter a covenant of love with his creator. Of course, this call to communion with God is not man's due. It is a sheer, gratuitous gift, but a gift that reveals man's greatness. The dignity of man rests above all on the fact that he is called to communion with God. Our call to receive this gift explains who man is and why he aspires to something more. And we will continue to talk about that gift um, over and over again throughout throughout the text. But I just think it's just such a beautiful reflection to sit with.
0: Yes, thank you so much for pointing out that quote too. And yes, it is so incredibly beautiful. That definitely stuck out to me as well. And just that... Not only are you know every single person is so unique and unrepe- unrepeatable, but even your relationship with God is unique and unrepeatable. He will never have another relationship with anyone else like he has with you, Katie. And he would miss you if you were not here. <laughs> That's mind so boggling to think about that. That the only God of the universe you had the conversations in Nashville parks. Yeah, like you did. With right. Him. <laughs> he didn't have any other God walks with anyone else the same. And that really, that is something we could sit with for a really long time. Um, but this whole section also reminded me of a quote from the catechism that I thought I'd shared too. Um, it's catechism uh, number 357. It says, being in the image of God, the human individual possesses the dignity of a person is not just something but someone he is capable of self-knowledge of self-possession and of freely giving himself and entering into communion with other persons and we're going to get to the giving yourself and communion part later <laughs> down the road um but this whole idea of self-knowledge and self-possession and then that unique unrepeatable relationship with god really brought to mind for me um, the idea of mindfulness and i mean christian mindfulness um, a mindfulness that brings awareness of yourself mind body and soul and um your relationship with god um it's truly about integration right it's about being that your whole person um and I'm realizing more and more as my kids get older and they are getting into adolescence, and there's lots of emotions happening in my house. And I'm realizing how much I need that space, that quiet, that solitude um, with myself and the Lord in order to be the mom that I need to be. Um, I've definitely found that when I don't um, intentionally seek out that time, I am irritable. <laughs> I am anxious. I try to control and manage. It's not good. It's not pretty at all. It's very bad. So I wanted to share with you guys um, a wonderful resource a few years ago back in 2020. I know everyone that's listening just now felt kind of sick to their stomach when yes. I said 2020. But some beautiful thing things actually happened um, then that I think were very much God-led. But there was a group of us moms who... In our uh, what would what should we say isolation or <laughs> like, like quarantine? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to use that word. Oh, sorry. <laughs> being um, uh, yeah, being in our homeschooling of, days. Yes, in our homeschooling days, we might have had some anxiety happening and some irritability, and so we all just felt this need to grow in this area of mindfulness. And we discovered this book by Dr. Greg Botero. Um, who is the founder of the Catholic Psych Institute. And the book is called The Mindful Catholic. I cannot recommend this book enough. It is so, so helpful. Um, He also has a great podcast called Being Human, which has a lot of theology of the body. So I'll be sure to put a link to that, too. But he is a devout Catholic and a psychologist. And so his practice of mindfulness is not only very much backed up by research, but also is very compatible with our faith. Um, And he begins every meditation with this ever-present God, here with me now, help me to be here with you. I mean,
1: even hearing it makes me calm. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it feels good, doesn't it? I know. So I noticed right away that when I started practicing this, um, it gave, and I gave myself that space and honored that need that I have um, for solitude. Um, I had more love to give to my children and to my husband. I was more patient, less reactive. Um, So I, I will definitely put that resource out there for you guys because I realized that this is a way that we can actually reclaim that solitude that we so need that we're, I mean, this is how we're created. We really do need to have that time. And I think sometimes we think focusing on ourselves and seeking out solitude is selfish, right? Or maybe even a waste of time, but it's actually fundamental for us. Um, So, and I just also was thinking about Jesus and, you know, he revealed to man who we are, right, what it means to be human in such a perfect way. He was fully integrated, mind, body, and soul, right? He's the creator of the universe. But he took time to be alone and to go and to pray. And um, you see that a
1: lot in the chosen. Yeah, And that's the true. disciples are almost, like, annoyed. Yeah, like, where are he going? left again <laughs> yeah. to go be by we himself. We have stuff to do.
0: Come on. <laughs> and he always yeah. came back better, Yeah. Right? yeah. And they were just
1: frustrated sitting there waiting for him.
0: Yes. (laughs) And we just really need to take note of that, right? That, like, does God need quiet time? Probably not. But Jesus, who is God and man, has a body. Great point. It wasn't optional for him. It was necessary for him to have that solitude. That is part of being human so this was all kind of a new revelation to me or you know this time reading it um so I anyway I just thought I would share that and hopefully that helps someone who's listening so um okay so we have one more section here on the alternative between death and immortality and um, he kind of is going back to an earlier point about, how we have this choice between death and life. We can choose to follow God and obey Him, which is life, or we can choose to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that would result in death, right? And I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, although it's super interesting and so good, but he does ask a really interesting question about whether Adam could even know what it means to die since he's never experienced that and no one he knows has ever experienced that. But he talks, John Paul II concludes that he could could discern or uh, I don't know what the right word is, but he could know to some extent what, Death would be by reflecting on the life that he has and his connection with the creator. He knew he was dependent totally on God, that he did not give himself life. So he could understand to some extent that to what it would mean to lose that. It's the antithesis of what he had experienced with God in the garden from the beginning Um, And so this ability to choose is part of being made in the image of God, um, and it would have confirmed for the man once again that he is different from all the other animals. So I didn't know if you had any reflections,
2: ladies, about this section before we wrap up. I I actually um, was able to take that a a little bit deeper in that, um, you know, you had mentioned that Adam was able to recognize that he could lose the relationship that he had, how his life was, how his existence was at that time. And he knew because he knew he hadn't existed at one point, and now he did. And so he had not probably the understanding of death, but that something could change, that he could lose that relationship when he was given the choice of obeying or not obeying. And I've had conversations with siblings and and others, in that it led to them thinking, um, I'm not sure if I can word it correctly, but in a sense that is it unkind that we could lose a relationship with our Lord. And, of course, we know our Lord never walks away from us, but we, with our walls and our woundedness, we can pull away, and it leads to this whole thing that we'll get into more about suffering, because since we have choice, we can make Sinful, and then and this is before. So this is this is before sin was introduced. But yet Adam is having this reflection of his freedom, and so it made me consider that with freedom, we're responsible for our actions. And again, I I would kind of go into the future where with our actions, sin will soon be introduced. And but then it was also more to look at the animals, you know they can't commit evil. I mean, at that point, they all were very close to each other. The lions were good friends with the pandas, and (laughs) I think that's really fun to think about the time before. But then it brought to that deeper awareness that that loving is a choice too, and then that God always loves us. And then the deeper realization, the sobering, intentional idea that but then we can love him too with our choice and our freedom. And so, um, it, just that conversation I've had with others where they can go in this track of mind, of, of thinking where it was unkind, but yet, really, in all truth, it's the most loving thing of all that our Lord gives us their free will to actually choose to be loved and to love others and therefore to know ourselves all the more.
3: That's beautiful, Patty. I think when I was reading Audience 7, uh, the phrase that kind of jumped out to me was, the invisible determines man more than the visible. And that made me really reflect on the fact that we care about our bodies. We take care of our bodies. We eat. We exercise. We get sleep. All those things are important. But really, it's the invisible. is that relationship with God. It's like, do we take time out for prayer? Do we take time for gratitude? Do we take time to uh, just even be awed at the beauty that we are, that God created us with so many gifts and talents? And even if we had no gifts and talents, how beautiful we are simply because we are. And so, again, it made me just reflect on, you know, we there's certain things we can control, and God does want us to take care of the exterior things. But for us to, to make everything run smoothly, the more important thing is that internal, that invisible part, that spiritual part of us, because that part, uh, you know, is is going to live on forever, and we will we will get our bodies back at some point in time as too, but that part of us that is invisible, we can't see, but it is truly what determines our actions. It's that inner part of us that helps us to know God, to love God, and then to serve Him in, in this life, so that we can be with Him in eternity. So that's kind of where my my prayer went.
1: And the way I always seem to go back to is like the robot theory. Like, would you want us to just be robots? If you don't want suffering in the world, then let's all just be robots and we'll be programmed to never hurt one another. But that takes all the freedom out of it. And so it has to be one or the other. And so which one would you rather choose? And I think that is where I keep going back to because You know, Adam could eat from any other tree in the entire garden except for one. And he was assured that every other tree would give him exactly what he needed. Um, But God needed to give him that boundary, just like we give our children boundaries, just like we give ourselves boundaries. And, you know, I think that while he may not have known what death was— he did know that it was the opposite of what he had now. Mm -hmm. And so when I feel like when you don't know what something is, you just look at the negative or the opposite of what it is. And that really can kind of give you that clarity because it is really what makes us different. I mean, we may tell our dog when he eats the entire tray of cookies on the countertop, bad dog. But we're not telling him to go to confession, right? Right. We're not like saying, like, do you realize how that made me feel? Now, I don't get to enjoy those cookies. Like, we don't talk to the dog like that. I do sometimes. Well... There are special circumstances. <laughs> I am very special. <laughs> you told me I was earlier. Yes. Okay.
0: <laughs> but we do have to
1: acknowledge that difference yes, eventually, Rashad. I know.
0: You'll get that. Uh, my kids keep reminding me he's yeah. not a person. Mom. <laughs> <Come on>. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. That was very beautiful. Sorry for my interruptions. Okay. I loved all of your reflections. Um, The only other thing I would say, this really helped me a lot. I think it was in the um, Theology of the Body 2 class um, with Christopher West, but um, he pointed out that the problem with us taking from that tree was not our desire for knowledge that actually the ability to just to discern between what is good and what is not good is a that, that's a good thing right like right. that's a gift but god and so god wasn't trying to withhold something that was good from us what he wanted was for us to trust that he would give that to us at the right time as a gift. And so the problem was more our grasping for it rather than wanting it. Right. And it's that trust. It comes back again and again to the trust that he's going to always give us exactly what we need at exactly the right time. So, um, yeah, so, That was a lot to reflect on, and I'm so grateful for all of you and your beautiful, prayerful um, reflections. So, um, But it is time to wrap it up. Um, Next episode, we are going to be discussing original unity, and I'll be sure to put in the show notes exactly where you can find that if you're reading along in the text with us. Um, But thank you so much for joining us on this journey, and until the next episode, God bless. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. We can be reached by email at bfilledpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram. There you can find additional encouragement in between episodes. Also, be sure to check out our show description for links to resources we discuss in the show, as well as questions for deeper reflection. Until the next episode, God bless.